this small bean services program, Direct to Peace Theater. Without further ado, our two hosts. Thank you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Director Peace Theater. I am one of your co-hosts, Adam Ganser, and with me is my friend and fellow co-host... Abe Epperson. Uh, It's me, it's Abe. (laughs) It's you. (laughs) It's you. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Now, this is a podcast in which you and I, in our respective roles as directors, which we've done professionally a little bit, and also which Mm. we've done, uh, frankly, in an amateur way, even before that, for years and years... Uh, get to talk and wax poetic about uh, the kinds of movies that both we love and we know you guys love, but that aren't necessarily the award-winning films. And we get to talk about the art and craftsmanship of those films. Abe, aren't we excited about doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. was too yeah, formal. I, I, it was too formal I think, already. <laughs> I, think, I think this film, what's at the heart of this podcast, is that we want to take a look at movies that are beloved and see what makes them tick Yeah, and make a kind of an argument for like, I don't know. It depends on the argument. Uh, today we have a pretty good one that we do. We're going to be talking about like middle of the road pictures. Yeah. Ones that you do love, but aren't like considered awards. Uh, yeah. Award winning. Right. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> but it's something that it's kind of like, I'm going to come from the point of view where I'm like, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. It's not always going to be that type of episode, but we're going to, we both have MFAs in film, film and television. We do. That we, we got at USC, which is where we met. We did. Uh, we are almost always regionally in agreement about this come from the angle that like films are like closed systems and you kind of start off with a basic premise or conceit that you're looking for. And then the craftsmanship ought to pay homage to that impetus. Yeah. And that's something that I think is near and dear to the heart of this podcast. So if for you sure. want to learn more about what makes films tick from a, like an atomic level, uh, this might be for you. Absolutely. Also, this is a, an attempt for Abe and I to find yet another way for us to imitate the thing we did for six years as employees of the, the website, which shall not be named, where Abe and I would go to a meeting, and then afterwards we'd go outside and smoke cigarettes under a tree and argue about whether or not our favorite movies were in fact artistic achievements. And mm-hmm. this is our attempt to drag you, the audience, beneath the cigarette tree. So come with us. Bring a pack of Camel Crushes if you'd like. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about movies. Uh, <laughs> memories. Why was it Camel Crushes? I don't know what got me hooked on Camel Crushes. I was, by the way, just so everyone knows, in this relationship, I was the guy always bumming cigarettes <laughs> yeah. off of you. You used to like use your fingers like pinchers and just like, mm-hmm. a cigarette, mm-hmm. please. Just, a cigarette, please. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. Yeah. Okay, Abe, so what are we going to talk about today? Well... Today's argument is fairly simple. I love the movie Punch Drunk Love, and I think it's a Mm. masterclass in craftsmanship. That's not really what this podcast is specifically about, but it is also about it. What it's really about is, recently I rewatched the film Wedding Singer, and it occurred to me that there's some basic similarities, and there's a pretty cool game that both movies play with, and I think they both accomplish like really well. They're both love stories where the lovers start to open up uh, to each other's ability to like be themselves. Yeah. They empower themselves to love themselves and ultimately each other. It, oh, yeah. Ooh, they, profound. There's this kind of like, am I okay to be me? And then the yeah. other person says like, absolutely. I love 
I love you, you as are. you are. Yeah. And then that gives them confidence to like, all right, then I'm going to be me. And then by the end of it, they're like themselves like singularly together. Um, so just to clarify, now, are you equa- are you equating punch drunk love and wedding singer as equal artistic journeys? Are you saying they are um, both artistic films and that they have this? They're in effect sort of mirror image films. I'd like to phrase it like this: like okay. if I were to ask you about. What is a film that was made about 20 years ago, stars Adam Sandler, is a dark romantic comedy, and exhibits a very controlled color palette, one of the more memorable aspects of which is Sandler's blue suit. What film would that make you think of? It would definitely be Punch Drunk Love, for sure. And both of those things are, all of those things I listed are true. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm I'm loving this already. So here's here's my argument. Okay, I'm ready. The craft that they play with by representing that thing that I was just talking about is to represent each character with a color palette that kind of influences or seeps into the other character's color palette as they fall in love, ultimately leaving the characters both with their original identity or like color intact, Mm -hmm. but with flourishes and accents of each other's color. It's just like basic metaphor stuff with color palettes. Does that make sense? It does. So just just to make sure, so you're saying that in each movie, the Adam Sandler character starts with like a basic color palette, and then his love interest over time also takes on that color palette. And like, like likewise with uh, with like Julia in the case of uh, Wedding Singer, yeah, and in and in the case of uh, Punch Drunk Love uh, with Emily Watson. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so it's that it's that it's it's just that's the basic game. Okay. And, so that game, I'm going to prove why that game's true okay. in a second. But the question I want you to kind of is near and dear to our discussion is both films, if you agree that both films really do this well, it, may, it makes me wonder what really determines how society sees like artifice or like art films. Yeah, why, why is Punch Drunk Love an art film and Wedding Singer and is a comedy? Wedding Singer is just another romantic comedy. Exactly. Ooh. Okay. So that's, so, okay. Love that. So, the, yeah. One is directed by uh, Frank uh, uh, Coracci, I believe is his name, <laughs> and the other is Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, so those are the two yes. guys that we're talking about uh, at the helm. Yeah, I, um, you can't, by the way, pronounce his name any other way. So if you guys are going to correct Coracci. him from home, you are wrong. Just tell you yeah. that right now. So uh, before I have Adam come in and shit on my idea or answer my question flat out in like zero seconds flat, I want to give you a few examples of proof. Let's start with Punch Drunk Love, which is 2002. Yeah. Um, After Wedding Singer. That's after The Wedding Singer. After The Wedding Singer. Four years after The Wedding Singer. Enough time to copy Coracci. Yeah. Coracci. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, so the first frame of that movie is Barry is immediately connected with Blue. Mm-hmm. If you remember, it's he's in a he's like in a work his like office. It's weird because it, we never see it again, but it's just like a storage facility where he makes phone calls. It's a single desk. There's like a blue bright blue band of blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and gray behind him. Yes, and he wears his blue suit, which is like the bluest thing you've ever seen. Um, and they keep that going throughout the film. It's the only suit he ever wears. So he is thoroughly, no problems there. It's also really He's saturated. Blue. Like it's such a, yeah. it's such a saturated blue, yeah. uh, in, in a way that like, it really, it really punches you in your eye holes for sure. Yeah. And within that first sequence, like within the first, like three or four scenes, uh, Lena, who's played by Emily Watson, mm-hmm. uh, she makes her first appearance and she's usually like Rose 
or uh, peach colors. She yeah. also blends into darker reds, uh, but she's you. That's how we introduce her. So we already immediately have this kind of blue versus like warm, like cold versus warm kind of thing. Right. Uh, there's a shot that happens with the first flirtatious conversation where she comes in and he's got the harpsichord on his desk after like saving it from the street. And she comes in and she was like, I just, they have this awkward, like, if you remember, it's got the John Bryan like score where it's just like sure. crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. intense where yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. got drums, 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 and you can barely focus. And so it doesn't feel like a, like a flirtatious sequence because that's what Paul Thomas Anderson's doing. But, uh, she kind of comes in and she basically just asks, like, I'd like to see you like outside of this space. Can we go on a date? Uh, and he's like, doesn't know what to do with that. So he goes like, okay, okay. And the whole time she's wearing like a purple base. Um, at the first date, she wears red, he wears blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you notice after the first date before and as they start, then time kind of does a jump throughout um the movie, there's kind of a few like a they few days later, a few days later yeah, that yeah. they aren't, they don't really go into details about. Uh, but you start to notice that his tie, even though he's wearing the blue, his tie starts to turn from like yellow, like crazy weird colors. He's got like marigold at one point. He's got a blue tie there, wears a lot. Right. Um, but then he's starting to wear like reds, and like we start to see warm colors influence his ties. That there's so few, there's such a small index that it's hard to say. Um, like, like it may this, not that, this that is a may big be move. looking into things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, that's what's kind of happening. Sure. And then we cut to Hawaii, and they start to fall in love. Right. And this is where Emily starts to see because he makes the grand gesture. Emily starts converting to blues over Hawaii. In fact, Hawaii is shot in blue, but it's like a beautiful blue instead of like a sad blue, like their their night yeah. scene. It's not morose. Like. Yeah, 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 like the water is blue when they make their kiss. There, it's in silhouette, and the outside is like beautiful blue colors. Just uh, briefly, can I briefly interject and just ask? Yeah, yeah. So, is is wardrobe the only way that we're seeing this color palette, or is it in the scene as well in this movie? I'd say Hawaii has uh, it's it's mostly wardrobe, but they yeah. do. Like for example, there's a shot as they're leaving Hawaii where they're like pl- pretty clearly in love. Yeah. Where like the the plane behind them is red mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But um, the movie isn't as bright and painted as Wedding Singer or like another right. movie like Wes Anderson. Film. Right, 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 right. It, it, you it's don't notice very it drab. the same way. Yeah, yeah. I, that I recall. Yeah. So it's it's more of like intentional little flourishes of color. Okay. Um. So that's one thing that's distinctive about Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. So yeah, well, that, that's kind of. I would argue that's the, actually. I would argue that's a that's a point in the favor of your argument too. If there's not a lot of color, and then the color that he mm-hmm. uses, especially in wardrobe, is like really saturated, that's like screaming at the audience, "Pay attention to this!" Yeah, right, artistically. And okay. Yeah, yeah. So at the end, they kind of influenced each other's colors. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's my argument for that. I think it's a well done game. Sure. That film went on to, at the Cannes Festival, got Best Director for P.T. Anderson, Ooh. got nominated for the Palme d'Or. Yeah. All right, oh, let's Palme get d'Or. to the Wedding Singer. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I, I just want to remind everybody, though, just in case the Palme d'Or really impresses, go back and look at that list of Palme d'Or movies, because they're, uh, certainly they're all achievements in one way or the other, but you definitely don't look at them and go, those are always the best movies. Def- you definitely yeah. don't. Just, just FYI. Go back and check that out. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. I'm yeah. just saying Wild at Heart won best won the Palme d'Or one year. You know what I mean? That that was not hey, the best film that year. I I guarantee you that. Anyway, teach their own. Honestly, I think awards are bullshit. But that's because I <laughs> well, that's be... really where this is leading, isn't it? This is leading yeah, to of... awards are bullshit. Uh, of course. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Oh man, I'm a real like you. Just, I can't help myself. I have to yeah. be ca- just contrarian as fuck. That's just who I am. <laughs> it's usually and, about and the and third cigarette when you would say that to me. It was about the cigarette yeah, three when that would could, come out. What is wrong with me, Adam? <laughs> what is wrong with me? <laughs> All right, the wedding singers in yeah. 1998. It yeah, yeah. sets up literally the same game. Wedding Singers, the color system where Robbie, the character that Adam Sandler plays, is blue, and Julia, who's played by Drew Barrymore, is rose or purple. Yes. It also shows Robbie at his lowest in Deep Crimson, which is a new addition to the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a new addition to the game, but I think they do a good job of separating, like, you're going to go, but uh, this is Adam, by the way. That's me. Crimson and like peach, they're both like warm colors. I think crimson. If you look at the film, crimson, it's like an oppressive. Like we're talking vampire. Yeah. Like you open it up and a coffin, and there's like red fucking felt. It felt. And it looks like vampire blood. In there. Honestly, that's it the looks, kind of crimson we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like blood versus hers, which is like more rosy. There's a lot of like. I don't know. It's more romantic colors. I, I'm not good at colors, but it like <laughs> it's like rose and stuff like that. So it's I, I count yeah. them as different colors. That's just me. It, it could also throw a wrench into my you know grain theory here. But point is, as their love develops, their color space shares each other. Same game. Robbie starts moving blue. The lights is banned. His version of self is like connected with teal and with blue. Uh, but then almost immediately in that movie, he gets, uh, he is left at the altar by his fiance. Linda. And he, yeah. And yeah. he is just in a world of red at that point. Yeah. The, the moment that he goes off and is like, I got to take a moment. There's actually some beautifully well done framing yeah. where like the rest of the world is in like one color, but he's in like a crimson shirt and he has like crimson blinds behind him. Yeah. Or like downstairs in his like where he sleeps in the basement, like all of the reds surround him. He's like literally in a prison of red. It's actually really, really well done. Having and just I wanna make a Yeah, yeah. Like, I wanna make a video on it because it's like underrated how good they like they specifically said, All right, this color has to be around him in every fucking frame. Having just rewatched this movie for this podcast, because I, I, I had not watched The Wedding Singer since like I was in high school, so almost twenty mm-hmm. years ago. And uh having just rewatched it, I was like, Wow, uh, there is a lot of really well composed and really intentionally colored shots here. Like the one yeah, you mentioned yeah. of the red blinds is like if you've ever made a single movie in your life, you're like, whoa, this is a thing they're doing in this movie. Like this is not an accidental decision. The red, the crimson here is very intentional. Right, uh, and it doesn't – and I think the, the line that's really interesting to play is that when you watch it as a – like if you turn off all the film – critic stuff and all right. of the MFA, you, know, right, right. you just watch it. <laughs> go back in time. It doesn't take yeah. you out of it. No, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't no. make you go like, oh, that's crazy. Even though it just looks like a well-composed shot and you notice it and you feel it, but it doesn't go like, that's obviously doing something. No. No. Some people with that critical eye are always going to make that argument because they're always looking for it. So you're going to get someone on the internet saying that. But, but as a filmmaker, uh, ultimately, I think, I think it works. I, I agree because I agree because nobody has ever commented on this before. 
mm-hmm. all the times that I've been <laughs> involved in a conversation about Wedding Singer, which is more <laughs> right. than zero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's never been brought up. And also, like because again, and I and I say this not even because of the MFA, but because like I've turned on a camera and tried to create an image in my life. Like yes. it's so clear that this was a choice. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's really clearly a choice, and I think that's important for anybody who doesn't remember this but wants to go back and watch it after this podcast. Ask uh, yourself, could this have happened by accident? No chance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. In the interest of speeding along, uh, when we cut to Julia and her first scenes, she is in a situation where she is about to get married, but her husband's like an asshole, cheats on her and stuff like that, which she yet to know. With the last um, name But Gullia. in her life, from her <laughs> perspective, she everything's rosy and cheery. Yeah. And, like, and her world represents that all the colors are pinks and uh, peaches and rose. Um, and then when we cut back to Ravi, there's a prolonged segment where... He is immersed in red. The first wedding that he sings at, he's all blue. The second wedding, he's now wearing a red suit. The theme of the wedding is like that crimson red. Yeah, it's, it's really Cindy crazy. It's like vampire yeah. wedding. Yeah. And that's where the f- that's the first time they actually meet. Right. Because um, she's a wedding like planner. That's the first time they meet. Uh, and like the outside is red. He's yeah. in a dumpster and the r- dumpster is red and I've never seen a red dumpster. So it's all very pr- meticulous. Yeah. Um, but then there's like, uh, there's like one or two scenes where she like perks him up a bit. Mm-hmm. And then the third wedding is it's a bar mitzvah. It's, a bar mitzvah. it's not a wedding. Yeah, it's a bar yeah. mitzvah. And the world is kind of blue. He's still red. It's which not, to it's me, not kind of blue. It's rom.com blue. Like it's, it's like it's blue. really blue. Yeah, 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 it's like everything is shades of blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's the one red influence, and the there's some band members that have red, so it makes it not look weird. But like that to me is clearly the filmmaker going, okay, yeah, the world is blue. He's seeing it outside here, but he still is very, very angry. He's like hating women. He thinks he's never yeah. gonna make it. He's got self esteem issues. Yeah, he's still very much in the headspace, even though Julia did in their first interactions kind of give him this feeling of hope. And then as they continue to do that, it gets more flirtatious. You know, you guys all know rom-coms. Um, and so they decide to have like a few honest, like conversations. Julie's going to plan a wedding. Uh, he's going to like help out. He also um, uh, returns her blue jacket to her at sort of a key moment early yeah. in this film. Uh, and anyway, yeah, yeah. And, and he, at this point, his, um, his blue start to lighten up. Yeah. He goes back to and blue a little so bit. And so this is like in the middle of the film, it's what I'm calling like the getting to know Julia phase. Um, yeah. And it's really, there's an amazing sequence at one point, which is there. there's a song that says, it's Someone Kill Me Please, that mm-hmm. song. Because it's like a nice, sweet song. And like the joke is that he's like, you think it's about like, you kind of, th- he says it's about uh, his ex, his ex-fiance. Right. Uh, so and it's all like clearly the first verse was written when he was in love with her. Yeah. But then the chorus is like, somebody can you me. like b- ripped out my heart? Yeah, somebody yeah. kill me, please. And the way that the film does it is that the world is kind of fairly blue and rose, and we're seeing yes. all the elements of like the things that Julia's bringing to the mix. And then him. But then right as he hits that chord that says, "Someone kill me," yeah. you know, like we pop to a sh- wide shot where like. 
you see his guitar, and his guitar is crimson. He's also and in a like, red light. There's a red light in his hair and stuff, too. And there's I, I just red light in this. his hair, yeah. but it's not as noticeable. There's, like, yeah. the bottom half of frame is all red. Yeah. So it's, like, this kind of moment that says he is starting to kind of hopefully see, and, like, there are times if you crop it right, he's a happy guy. Yeah. But then he keeps coming back to this red, this, and he just can't get her out of it. I just, and I'm sorry, I have to interject at of, this point. I hope you don't mind because yeah, that's exactly the scene where John Lovett shows up. And yes, John Lovett, John Lovett has only ever been John Lovett in his entire career, and that's like one of my favorite John Lovett cameos because he's such a little snail. He's just amazing in it, and like he has that stupid yeah. line where he's like, you know, and I benefit, and then he closes the drapes <laughs> in that stupid way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. He's just the creepiest guy. Yeah. He, I love John Me Lovitz. too. I love him just for being him. Like, go for it, Lovitz. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and I am the benefit. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. The fucking critic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's this strange scene where it's just, which is – it's a really bizarre scene. And it's one of those scenes that you go back in romantic comedies of the nineties and you go like, what the fuck were we doing? Right. Why were, why There's was a this? Scene where, yeah. Where Julia's sister and Julia are having an argument about how, like what's a hot kiss? Like what's the right. Oh, kiss that's not, for a that's not her kiss? sister. That's like her friend from work. Oh, it's her yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was her sister yeah, for yeah, some yeah. reason. And I, then she's yeah. like, why don't you guys kiss each other to test out the church kiss? Yeah. Yeah. Why would that happen? Yeah. 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 If it should be open mouth or not. Right. And it's like, what? Why would that be the thing? Why would why that would be a that solution? Be a test? Yeah. Totally. I mean, I mean, it's. I guess it's a friend kind of reading in that like she's into this guy, but it's like not the right time. They would friends. never do that. That couldn't yeah. happen. I totally agree. It, it was impossible. And if you, that's the scene where both characters share a look that kind of says to each other like, "Oh my, was that real? Yeah. Like, are we for yeah, real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is this something that is this more than just like idle flirting? Is this like?" Are we a thing? That's the scene and it's where you're be like, a problem. That's the scene where you're like, oh, now I remember why Drew Barrymore was like in yeah. all the late '90s rom coms because she's so adorable, and also mm-hmm. there's like a little earnestness when it comes time for the actual kiss to happen, yeah. where she gets now she's a real person every time, and it's really great, you know. And and this is where I think my argument like fucking strangleholds. Oh, because if you look at that fucking scene, okay, Robbie's shirt is a blue shirt. It's fucking blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's blue. Yeah. It's like a light blue. Yeah. And it's got this pattern of little like teardroppy thingies that are rose in it. And when you look at her shirt, it's a rose shirt with blue accents. So it's just like, all right. It's like, they're, it's like suck it's a dick artist. It's all this is fucking a thing. brewing up, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then, then we have like the, you know, kind of uh, end of act two, beginning act three kind of situation where we, uh, Julie's, she's beginning to accept her feelings for Robbie. It's a tumultuous time in the movie. Uh, Robbie realizes he's in love with Julia, but he knows that she's going to get married and he's not going to do anything about that. So he feels that like she might be the one, but I think it's over for me. Like, I, I think it's it's kind of like he's getting to his all's lost point and she's going to have the realization that her husband's a jackass. Uh, and right. it's the buildup of that. So it kind of uh, business as usual in terms of that. There's no real movement in their relationship, therefore no movement in my theory. Um, until I guess he the crimson returns at the all's lost point. Well, because I, I see and I want to make sure there, there's a, a one key moment that I want to come back to when we actually discuss this theory. As, okay. as a debate that I want to bring up as a counterpoint. 
But so far, mm-hmm. everything you've said, I, that's exactly my experience of the film. I, I, it, what you said, exactly how I saw it when I watched it just now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to cut, just so we can get to that mm, bread and butter, which is what I'm looking for. Mm, uh, me too. The very last sequence. Yeah. On the uh, plane. When he comes into the plane and he sings her the song, I Want to Grow Old With You. Yeah. They're talking. Yeah. In between them is a very clearly created seat in an airport, uh, an airplane seat uh, that is very purple. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like, yeah, that's you, right. You gotta, you gotta think that that was, yeah. Because you've never seen a purple one. They're yeah. always fucking beige. Also, you know, like, I think he's in, like, I think first class's seats are all like really red. And she's mm-hmm. in a chair that's like really blue, and he goes over to where she is. Yeah, when she's he sings wearing the like, song. yeah, right? she's wearing like a light red, yeah. and and all the chairs are blue, and yeah, there's yeah. purple like s- back of the seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I recall just like, this. Ah. Yeah, and just so everyone knows, it's also gotten some awards. The Wedding Singer was nominated by MTV for the <laughs> MTV Awards for Best On Screen Duo. <laughs> It was nominated. MTV, it didn't, didn't MTV always like cutting edge, like leading the pack, yeah, cutting edge, forerunning in thought. So, yeah. So in the end, it's about control of the spaces. Right. Both films do it not just because it looks good, but because it has like a relevance to the plot and a like a thematic purpose. Right? right. Right. And that's kind of artistic, right? That's things that we would expect like good films to that's do. That's literally so, what filmmaking is in terms of artistry like that is the art of filmmaking symbolism metaphor all these things like taking deeper motifs that we usually reserve for higher craft quote unquote higher craft films we admire them in higher craft films right when I'm arguing that the actual case is that there's fantastic craftspeople in the prime of their artistry work on all types of films and they're just not exclusive to the films considered for awards. And it's a goddamn shame. Yeah. And we need to point it out yeah. and say, good job, Wedding Singer. You fucking nailed it. Yeah. And Punch Drunk Love, also good job. But like sometimes we give you all the credit for shit like this. <laughs> yeah. When's it, when's it turn for Karachi to win his award, right? Why, why can't Karachi Yo, win one just because yeah. he went back to the 80s? How come Wardrobe's not getting – how come they're not fucking getting things? You know it's funny they're that you say like that? Uh, the Wardrobe is actually really good in The Wedding Singer. Like it's not. Oh, it's on point. It's really dude. good, and it's also like not overdone. Like it's not stupid. No, you know that's what's crazy is that it was so subtle and so good. Yeah. My art, like you watch it and you go like, this all makes sense. This is a regular film, <laughs> and then right. you go, oh no, wait, it's actually meticulously crafted, and that is impressive because it's so subtle it's, you don't notice it, which makes them you know totally ignored. And also, you don't go like. Do you guys watch Wedding Singer? Oh, that film with all the great costumes? <laughs> Get out of town. I love that film. That film with the narrative arc as portrayed by yeah. varying color palettes. The sewing work. Whoa. The color the palette yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> I totally agree. Can I just make a couple of brief observations about Wedding Singer before we get into the meat of this? Do you mind? Hit me. Okay. Hit the me. Boy George jokes. Uh, right. Are baffling now. Like when you're watching him in 26, like 2019, you're like you're watching like everyone's reaction and thinking like, why are they so weirded out by this guy? And that's when you remember, oh, it was just a joke to have a person dressed in drag back then. Yeah, like it's yeah. like that, which is weird because Boy George was a thing back then. You know, like, so yeah, I, it, yeah. it was just so like it was so 90s because it was so like there's a weird person, laugh at him. 
You know, like and yeah, it was, that's exactly there was never like, a different in joke. In my house, it's like they're Rodney Dangerfielding their way out of right. like every fucking room, and it's just like all right. There was never a different that's what joke culture was at then. all. They didn't even try. It was a uh, lowest common denominator, yeah. like low hanging fruit it's, kind well, of. Well, it's shit. funny that you say that because then again, here's a filmmaker who's like trying to do a color opus out of this thing. So, like on the one hand, you have these like lowbrow jokes of like. You know, the shitty limo driver who is a, you know, a womanizer and also dresses like Michael Jackson because somebody has to. And boy, George, and haha, look at the person in drag. And then you have this guy, like, intentionally painting blinds to, like, communicate the deep inner sadness of Adam Sandler's character, Robbie Hart. Right. So I don't know. Right. You know, right. I don't know. Is Karachi it's, ahead of it's... himself or not? It's fucking wild. Also, can I briefly comment, like, the guy who was Johnny two times in Goodfellas. Is like mm-hmm. it is in this movie, and if and there's oh, yeah. no reason for him to be in this movie at all, like he is just in the movie because he was in Goodfellas, he doesn't contribute anything to this at all. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's just he's there just to be a bud, I guess. Like, I, but he's he's like married to Adam Sandler's sister-in-law or something or sister. Yeah, and it's like it's really hard to understand how that marriage took place. Or just why he's there. It just it doesn't add up at That's all. That's a fair point. Yeah. He is not, and he's needed. He's needed for a buddy to commiserate yeah. and make uh, to allow in that all is lost moment <laughs> in the bar. Yeah, where Adam Sandler's right. saying like, "She's the one," uh, and she's getting away, man. For him to make the realization and for it to click. But I know her fiance is a fucking piece of shit. I owe it to myself. I owe it to her to not allow them to get married. And I'm in love with her. I'm going to go do the thing. I really liked, um, I really liked the shitty. So fian- yeah. Yeah. I really liked the shitty fiance as a bad guy in this movie because, uh, for about two thirds of the movie, he's kind of just, he, he, he's not playing a dick. He's just being a guy who's kind of in yeah. the way. And like, just his personality irritates you in a way that's like I'm not sure the actor is actually doing this on purpose, you know. Like it's really oh, it's yeah. really yeah. well done. All... And also, just this is my last observation before we get into the actual content. You were saying, Billy Idol yeah. just murders in this movie. He crushes this movie yeah, so hard. And like now, like 20 years later, I'm like, dude, Billy Idol was just fucking game for this. Like he was in on every scene and he was trying very hard. And like more power to you, Billy Idol. Like, thank you yeah. for being the best in this movie, right? <laughs> Glenn doesn't he's, deserve her. He's just murdering yeah. it, you know? Yeah, he's he murders it. There's a lot of people. Who murder. And obviously, this is the film that is remembered for rapping grandmas. I get it. Right. I get it. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, Adam Adam Sandler's thing is, like, getting people, like, getting w- wacky side characters who have, like, one or two lines to overdo it. Like that, he loves that shit, right? Like even like like Rob Schneider's whole career after SNL is basically the Water Boy, like yeah. that cameo on the Water Boy, plus you know a couple movies he got after that. Ever notice how Adam Sandler's like his like his golden era of films? Uh, the asshole in the movie is always exactly the same. Like, what's the difference? Give me one difference other than like the vocation and the like actor who played them uh, <laughs> between like. Sh- the asshole in this movie and Sh- Shooter McGavin. <laughs> uh, there is no difference. Shooter McGavin There's, is... They're it, fucking the same. No, he's exactly the same. Only Shooter McGavin is far and away my favorite villain in any Adam Sandler movie because he's yeah, just but, yeah. so well done and uh, 
just his arguments with the uh, fucking the <laughs> the James Bond villain. Uh, you know what I mean? The guy who died, who's like the jag the giant guy. The uh, Jaws. Yeah, guy? Jaws. His arguments with Jaws. It was just oh, yeah, just yeah, magnificent. Yeah. I love him every time I think about it. It makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's um, yeah, yeah. It's something. It, it's it. There's something about. It. I think it. The difference between like because that's just a like, like more attuned to like the Caddyshacks and right. just like, uh, just a guy, just like a bunch of slubs, like schlubbing around doing jokes. Versus this one, which is like actually, there's j- it's an Adam Sandler thing, but it's also at the same time trying to be like a genuine like romantic comedy. The only difference is that to me, uh. Obviously, he's he's less of a man child, Adam Sandler, but the villain is relentlessly evil, as opposed to Shooter McGavin, who's like pathetic, pathetic, but also like like a like a an arrogant jackass, you know, like yeah, like exactly. That's his problem. But we make fun of him like he's a piece of shit. You right. pieces of shit right. for breakfast, kind of like yes, like it's fun to take the wind out of his sails. We know we don't really do that with our guy and not with Glenn. He's just no Glenn. No, Gullia. Glenn is just seriously a problem he's just yeah, a problem and he's in the, the way start. i mean that's really it is he's in the way yeah and you he's know? like yeah i have sex with women outside <laughs> of like whatever it's it's fine well, you want me to kick your ass like where, where are we going with yeah, this yeah, yeah. fucking whatever, exactly dude. i bet you're gay you know it's that kind of <laughs> right, stuff right exactly and it's just like ah go fuck in yourself. fact i believe he has he actually asked that question at some point when he has like yeah, two women yeah. or his arm around two women which is ridiculous Yo, so yeah so i wanted to mention this one other thing that I think will transition nicely into this punch drunk love versus wedding singer conversation. And that is, so when I was watching wedding singer for this, what struck me more than anything else about the movie is that Adam Sandler is really weird when he tries to be romantic. Like it's like, he feels very, uh, like he, it doesn't feel natural to him. It feels like awkward. And he turns into this weird, like sort of whispering little boy. You know, like, that's his romance guy, and it's very, like, now watching it, you're like, ugh, it makes me, like, cringe. And that is, I think, in part, why we remember Punch Drunk Love so fondly, is that Punch Drunk Love kind of understands that there's an inherent sort of sociopathic thing about Adam Sandler, and it really brings it forward. Like, oh, absolutely. And I think, I think that's fundamentally why we remember the movie, because otherwise it kind of is just a weird rom-com. You know, like it's not. I mean, it's got a weird tone to it, and that's that's unique to P.T. Anderson. But it's basically a rom com. You know, like yeah, like it's uh, got a zany, wacky characters. Yeah, yeah Philip like, Seymour um, Hoffman crushes in that movie for jokes. Oh, yeah, he's amazing! Just a in it. bunch of um, grand, way too grand gestures of love mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, at the exact same movies that typically have, like, if you take a stopwatch and you look at the script. You know, it's 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 just like how to you know lose a guy in ten days or whatever. Yeah, you know, can't hardly wait. Like these are and these are like memorable rom coms, right? I'm not even talking about the shitty ones that like fail at being rom coms. And if you gave exactly Adam Sandler's situation and job to uh, is it Frank Frank Caracci uh, uh, to to Caracci. yeah to director Caracci, uh, I'm pretty sure it, it would be a pretty slapsticky situation. You know what I mean? Because like his job yeah. is ridiculous, his like world is ridiculous. How is it? It's really just sort of rendered in this more sort of semi-serious way by P.T. Anderson, and I guess we sort of accept him on his on face value. I guess we sort of take it on face value, like oh, I guess this is a serious movie because it's being presented to me as a serious movie in a way. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to get yeah, into. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing when it comes... Karachi is doing this, like, really interesting thing over here. Yeah. That is, like, no one talks about. And, like, it's not anymore... It's, in fact, as I was pointing out with, like, the inclusion of, like, crimson and other colors... It's even more complex from a color standpoint. That doesn't win you points. It's not like, oh, but I, he's got four colors, not three. <laughs> so he's I'm not better. talking about that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, talking yeah. about like it's a it's a well-devised system. Yeah. It's got some form of complexity yeah. to it. But it's no more or less complex than like a Punch Drunk Love. No, I would argue Punch Whereas Drunk Love Anderson- is a little bit more it, – it's really sort of a more aggressive color decision because it's not mm-hmm. – it doesn't blend in. Like P.T. Anderson's decisions right. there are a lot more like you have to look at this and notice it because it's loud. Right. And kind of one small caveat just before, you know, go to town or whatever. Sure. I'm not crazy. I understand why Punch no, no, Love is a better movie. Of course. Movie. Me too. Like it's an it's what it's a better movie. Right. It's just it's got better jokes in it. It's just it's more human. There's just so many elements that like make the story matter that make it better. But like what are awards? Are awards about what the audience think is the best movie, right? What was the experience? Is that what we're giving I, an I award to, you're... or is it that we're giving an award to people who are doing like when we put in people, like when we give awards for like the Golden Glove or like the MVP in sports? We look at people yeah. on how like yes, their influence mattered and what they did matter, but it's also about the stats, you know, and like. We ignore the stats all the time. Right. I, I think you're right that we sort of only accept, quote unquote, stats from a certain yeah. category of movies. Right. So I think that would be the equivalent. In, exactly. That would be the equivalent in sports of saying, like, Mike Trout can't be the MVP in baseball because uh, the Angels aren't a serious contender. Only a playoff team can really have an MVP on it. And it's like, well, right. that's not, and that's kind that's, of bullshit. Yeah, right? it's not true. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, and if you don't like that analogy, use literally any analogy in another sport. It's the same thing, right? Like, there's there's right. an element of uh, there's an element of me- tears, yeah, and metrics, right? Whereas with Academy Award movies, essentially, you cannot make the Wedding Singer and win an Academy Award, no matter how good of a job you do at it. You can't, right? Like, there's no version of right. uh, history, even like even alt history where Wedding Singer gets nominated for, you know, best production design or best wardrobe, even though it was really good. Like, that would never happen because of what kind of movie it is. And I fucking hate awards, but, like, I will be the first to admit that they fucking matter. They fucking matter because... They economically matter, for sure. People hired next year based around them. Like, so it's influencing people's jobs, people's livelihoods. And, like, so you can just become an obscure, you know production designer or whatever because you could you never met someone like pt anderson right and i'm and that's bullshit even if you're good at your job you should be paid you should be get work and i imagine that i mean and i'm not sure about this but i imagine like it's so much easier for me to imagine a world where somebody who's a production designer or who's like a uh even a dp would work on content of all different genres and not be as typecast by like, oh, did you work on The Wedding Singer? Sorry, you can only work on, you know, feature comedies. Right. You can't work on, you know, the next P.T. Anderson film. Like, I, I don't think that is as true of that art as it is of directors mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or certainly writers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And so it's weird to me that their work can only be acknowledged if they work on this certain slate of movies. You know, uh, I know why that slate of movies gets the awards. It's because it drives people to the theater 
and because uh, it validates yeah. a certain sense of artistic achievement that Hollywood wants to have. And I get that, you know. Uh, and I'm not. I, I have my disagreements about it, but it's strange to me that work that isn't just like sort of tone work, but like actual artistry can't find any way to be celebrated unless it's in the right slate of movies. You yeah. know, that's I mean, that's your point. I, I mean, and I, I agree my... with you about it, but yeah. I want to make some counterpoints. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Me with your so, best shot. <laughs> thank you. Cause that's exactly the song I wanted to hear in this movie and didn't. Yeah. yeah so as a person who's tried to make, uh, several web series that were color palette controlled, as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. What I was surprised about about Wedding Singer was how loose they were with the color palette. Here's what I mean. The yeah. very last scene on the plane, Adam Sandler's wearing sort of a black and white jacket that's like very anti, like it's almost like groom, but the opposite of a groom. And she is not wearing any of the colors that you'd expect given how much control that they've been trying to exert uh, she's not wearing any of those colors either, and neither is Glenn. So none of the three people that are in this like sort of color controversy thing uh, are wearing those colors in the last scene. They're sort of relegated to the background, and that was weird. The other weird thing about it was, and because I was watching it for this purpose, is that when Adam Sandler has this sort of like Dark Knight of the Soul moment, which is when he's like laying on the ground and Linda sort of shows up again and like is like, hey, you're drunk and on the ground and you just had a fight with Julia or whatever, and hey, I'm back. He is soaked in blue light. That whole area is soaked in blue light. And it was one of those times where I was like, wait, so did we break the metaphor here? Because we're clearly pouring blue light all over him, and yet it means something different than what it meant all throughout the movie before that. And did you notice that, or is it? Am I taking crazy pills? No, no, yeah, they're they're loose with it. Yeah, I think they that are, that's fine. I, I mean, I I knew you'd say that, right? Uh, and I and I yeah. I don't have a problem with that either, because I would also argue if you do it all, that PC Anderson yeah. is pretty loose with his color palettes, uh, including the one yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. And speaking as a person who's tried to lay down really rigid rules about how to control color, you know what happens? It distracts the audience. You know, so I kind of get why. Yes, because then it's relentless, like, oh, fuck, another blue sh- right. suit. <laughs> right, right. I don't understand. You why know, is everything like, blue? Thank you, internet commenter. It's because you just got to make a memorable moment for it, yeah. and you got to do it enough that it becomes, like, an identity. Yeah. But, like, even people who, like, I really identify as, like, a Democrat, it's like right. I don't try to make my every angle I talk about, about everything. It has a donkey I'm in like, it, yeah. This pasta is really good. It's like the Democrat right. of pastas. <laughs> you know, like, I don't do shit like that. I don't, like, make right. politics my everything. Right. And likewise, I don't think this craft has whole, own doesn't own and needs to take hold of the movie. It's just at in play well, and I think constantly. Uh, yeah, and I would argue that uh, we're so used to sort of, like, the hyper-controlled versions of this that we're seeing in, like... You know, all those sort of action movies of the 2000s where there was only blue and yellow at all. Or uh, the Wes Anderson thing, right? Where the the color palette and the frame are so rigid and controlled that we think that's the only way that this art form is expressed. And it's like, no, no. In a comedy movie when, like, you know, nobody cares except for the director who, bless his heart, is, like, trying to make an artistic statement with this stupid 80s throwback movie... Uh, no, he doesn't need only red and blue to be in the movie. 
You know, like it's mm-hmm. fine if he has a couple of greens and yellows. And that was like a fun realization for me. It was like, oh, this is sort of a more loose way to do this. And I think I enjoy it more because of that. It makes it more coded, you know? Yeah. And you know, and, and when it's there, you do notice it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, again, like the most telling. It's just enough to think about looking for it. Yes. And then when you look for it, it it's like it's like little Easter egg hunt. You don't want them. You want to kind of search right. for it a little bit. Right? And the most telling frame again because i know some of you are going to go back and watch this just to see the frame that's the most telling is the one where you're looking at the three men at the table right after adam sandler's been broken up with and the two men are i want to say one of them's his brother-in-law and the other one's his buddy who drives a limo and then there's adam sandler those two guys are in like sort of teals and the background behind them is teal it's like a seafoam yes and then he is sitting in crimson and the blinds are painted crimson and it's like that would not happen in a house you know what I mean? So yeah, like, you wouldn't have one. There's blind, no way. One color, right? Exactly. No. So it's definitely like there's de- they're definitely making artistic choices, and that's the one that really makes it a loud choice. I would say. Yeah, that one's the loudest in the movie yeah. uh, because everything else feels like it makes sense. Like, right. What What's in his garage, or I mean, what's in his basement? Well, he has like maybe a stop sign, or like a red sign, or like the background has a red painting, or something like that. That can happen. Yeah. This like literally doesn't happen. I also at a certain point in watching the movie I started to think that the the director was also doing something with saturation because I know every time that the frame was really saturated like it instead of those like sort of faded pastel colors that you saw a lot of every time you mm-hmm. saw saturation the intensity of the scene was pretty high for the most yeah. part. Yeah, exactly. Is, I think he was doing something with like comfort versus agitation or something like that like you know like anxiety just as a thing because like he gets stronger colors when he's a little bit more anxious she is kind of um i mean it's just another romantic comedies probably right um and she's also drew barrymore isn't the comedian of the film um she's a little left there's something left. She is not fully developed. Arc. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That's um, I, I, it. Is what it is. She was weirdly uh, neglected artistically in the movie on a lot of fronts. Like that's one of them. The other one is her hairstyle makes like almost no sense to me as both an '80s flow throwback and like looking at it, it's like oh they didn't do that great of a job with this with her hair specifically. And I say that, yeah, because he's wearing like the perm. Right, his hair really mattered, and hers was very like they kind of cut it and then didn't style it that well, so it kind of looked bad. And it was like, is that on purpose? Because I don't know why. I think it's you know, I think it comes from the fact of like SNL movies and like SNL care. Not it's not it's not an SNL movie, but like he came from SNL and like he is the star. Like Will Ferrell is the star of Anchorman. You kind of put all the character design work into Adam Sandler because he's like on the poster and like the. Oh, so is Drew Barrymore. T- I mean, like. Yeah, you know. she is, but like, why are you going to? They thought of it when they conceived of the movie. Is the reason this is going to do well is because like Adam right. Sandler's hot at the box office, and right that's now. true. So they're yeah. So they put more work into his. I mean, design. I would be very sad if that was the answer, but the reason I think you're right is the other thing that's very troubling about this movie is when you look at the way that the cover box slash poster artwork is put together, mm-hmm. none of that color palette stuff comes through at all. And it, and, no. it, and it's like, well, I, this director clearly did this. 
why didn't you guys market it around the thing that he did? You yeah, know, it would be like, kind of delightful. It's visually pleasing. Right. Everybody would feel like, oh, this is a style of a thing. Instead, it's sort of this sloppy, totally other color palette thing. And you're like, what? Like, I don't understand. You know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And so you're kind of bummed out. It feels very sort of thrown together. And it makes me wonder if, like, the wedding singer, if it had been given a little bit more care from its, like, sort of producing partners, whether it might be a really strong movie. Like, it really could be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, you're, you're right about that. You're right about that. Yeah. I mean, so, of course, I, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic, that's why it wasn't considered for Academy Awards. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I said right. that. Like, it's, right. it's, like, it's not as good of a movie as Punch Drunk Not Club even close. For yeah, yeah. reasons that I typically go to movies, which is to have, like, a, ultimately to have a, like, visceral experience and saying like damn this thing fucking slaps this is a this, this thing fucking slaps you, know, you say this that thing slaps it like oh my yeah, god it, i now that's the only thing i'm ever gonna let you say holy shit <laughs> uh, this thing fucking it's slaps like a, whoa i love this my god print uh, it <laughs> All right, just because it's me, because it's me. I, I love I that it. you say that. I'm this thing fucking slaps. Oh funny. my god, you made my night right now. <laughs> it's it's Punch Drunk Love is uh, it's it's trying to say something deeper about humanity, definitely, and about loneliness. Um, now, Wedding Singer literally occupying the same space, talking about loneliness and how you get out of like kind of the grief of relationships. Or the grief of not being in a relationship. I mean, I think it's also... Uh, it has a very cookie-cutter kind of... They don't talk about it for a lot of scenes. And then at the end, it's just like, I want to grow old with you. And you, we go, oh, that's a really sweet sentiment. Yeah. What a good little sum up to that yeah. movie. Whereas Punch Drunk Love is like a Rolodex of scenes of saying like, so you know that part of the grief? Well, like, let's look about right. that. And like, what does that mean about right. you? And stuff like that. Like his scenes with his sisters... Are, are deep and, stuff that and I, crazy and great. Yeah. Stuff that I omitted in terms of because it doesn't have to deal with the color palette of the two main lovers, but it's still very much like there's a whole thing about how he's a, the reason they chose his blue suit. And we touched on this in the Punch Drunk Love uh, frame rate. Like it's it's actually a superhero movie. He is Superman. Right. And yes, I remember when we were talking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's stuff like that. Like uh, there he's doing a bunch of other stuff, which makes it a better movie. But so I'm not going to say that. Uh, Karachi should be on the list, the short list for the Palme d'Or. But I am saying that, like, we should consider the costume designer, though. Yeah, I think I, you, I think you know? what you're saying is like because of the kind of movie it is, all these other people who did great work uh, will never get acknowledged except for on this one podcast that ideally they're liking and subscribing because that would really help us out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, and I think you're right. I mean, as a person who's, you know, led teams like led production teams, as have you, like, I think you, we both understand and it's important for the audience to understand like, Hey man, every good thing anybody's ever done in front of a camera or behind a camera was done at, in a collaboration. And some, some of the collaborators on wedding singer were trying real hard and that's really cool. You know, because that movie yeah, didn't need to be cared about as much as it was. I think you did really well by bringing up P.T. Anderson because it elevates the sort of comparison point for Wedding Singer. But Wedding Singer's actual contemporaries or like sort of the the lineage that it comes from is stuff like Stripes 
and like uh blues and like blues <laughs> yeah, brothers sure. and also like uh like its successors are like Judd Apatow movies and honestly find me another film in that in that sort of broad genre that's trying as much well you know? i just want to let you know that in 1998 here we go there was a few other uh there's a few other rom-coms made you, including there's something about mary you've got mail how stella i'm got so glad you back. brought up you've got mail because i just watched that uh i don't i don't know why <laughs> that, i'm on this kick i'm just i'm but just i am bla- blasting right past that not any not even no no you it. need to you need uh, to because can't hardly wait tom waits or not tom, tom hanks is vastly superior to Adam Sandler's love interest. I'm putting it on record. Anyway, keep going. Uh, yeah, not another line about you got mail or I'm going to put you in the penalty box, okay? <laughs> I don't need to talk uh, about you got mail shit. right now. It's not that I hate the film. I kind of do need to talk fine. about it, but go ahead. But 1998, Shakespeare in Love also yeah. is a rom-com, technically. Technically, isn't it? Sure. Technically. It's not, the conven- it's not a conventional rom-com. No. It's a romance yeah. story. But, uh, but like, so when we're talking about its direct peers literally being made in the same year, like, you're telling me there's something about Mary or You Got Mail or How Stella Got Her Groove Back have, can shine a light to the craftsmanship and the wedding singer? Get the I, fuck out I, of town. I know that, uh, I know You've Got Mail can't. <laughs> <laughs> that I know. I haven't seen how still got a, your group, her group back in a long, long time. But uh, yeah. yes, I, there's something about Mary's. It's also it's fine. literally the same setup. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it, it's the same. It's like Ben Stiller's hot right, right, right now. Right. Uh, let's put cum jokes. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's that's what that is. That's what Wedding Singer was supposed to be. And then this guy had a humble vision, saying, "Let's do something with a little bit of color." Yeah. And that's a spicy yeah, meatball. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Adam Sandler's the best at finding a funny old person, too. He's very good at that. All right. Well, uh, I think you've made a pretty good case here. I, I, At least I think you've made a good case for uh, supporting these the, the crew members and their artistic endeavors, if not the career of director Frank Caracci. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. The, yeah, I can't wait man. to see Karachi's The Master Redux. You know, I can't wait to see that. <sighs> I got to look into this guy's film. Yeah, I want to know what, what else color he did. Work he's I literally have no idea if he did anything else. I didn't even look into it. I love if this was the only episode of this show, yeah. because this is not going to be the only episode. No. But if it was, it would just make it seem like Abe, yeah, Abe really likes like colors. Yeah, Abe's a real into colors guy. He's like, why aren't they giving awards to colors? <laughs> give somebody give best color. Can we get a best color? Where are the color awards? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a not great. a maniac. I just found a thing that I thought was delightful, and I'm telling you yeah. about it. Fictional audience, That's right. Who's yelling at me so, for putting my <laughs> opinion on the line? For the audience, <laughs> for future episodes, we've been discussing movies like Ocean's Eleven, Die Hard. Uh, and a bunch of your other favorites as uh, sort of artistic fodder for us to discuss mm-hmm. as filmmakers. And hopefully you guys will join us for those episodes as well. If you liked it, yeah, feel free to like yeah. it. Feel free to share it with your friends. And uh, hopefully there'll be more for, for uh, Director Peace Theater, right? Yeah, and I think the next episode is going to be an Adam Ooh. episode. Who knows so what that means? The tables will turn, <laughs> and I'll be the yuck-yuck yeah. who's trying to... <laughs> 
<laughs> I've been your to, yuck to yuck. Infiltrate <laughs> infiltrate your bullshit. Yeah. And then uh and we'll see who wins. I mean this one I pretty much not that this is the setup for the podcast. <laughs> Here we go. There's no winners and losers. Other than like the joy in yeah, our right. hearts, that's the real right. winner. But like but you uh, won. <laughs> I won, right? Like, yeah, I'm you really slapped today, Abe. You really did. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> All right, adios. Hey baby. Adios everybody. Thank you for listening. <laughs>